0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot.
1: And I'm speaking now on a sermon series entitled, When He Spoke. And we're taking the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross and breaking them down and individualizing them to one sermon at a time. And so today we're preaching sermon number three in this series, or the third time Jesus spoke. And the title of the message today is The Words of Affection. The Words of Affection. And so I would like to invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 19. As you know, from week to week, we get these scriptures for you on the screen, and you can read them I think, in the giant print much easier. But, you know, sometimes when I think about the convenience of this and how it does work to assist others uh, in uh, a variety of ways, especially when we get to preaching uh, in a rhythm to where it's hard for you to turn uh, to the different locations of the Scriptures uh, as fast as I would give them to you, I pray that it never gets you used to not reading your Bibles and not turning to the Scriptures and not knowing how to find them. You might be able to find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John fairly easily, but if you don't use your Bibles in a regular fashion, you might not be able to find other books of the Old Testament, uh, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk, very easily. And I, I want to encourage you not, not to just lean upon these beautiful technologies that we have today uh, and use them in such a way that uh, you, you never refer to your own personal uh, Bibles. It's so important to be able to put your hands and fingers on the Word of God and to know uh, where to find these scriptures. In fact, I would encourage you to do this. Some of you may have in your childhood learned how to quote all 66 books, and you can do it from Genesis to Revelation. And I would invite you and encourage you to do that repetitiously from time to time just to keep you familiarized with the Word. And so... Um, don't get rusty in the word. That's the encouragement for today. Now, the words of affection, and I'm going to be using as the main text of our scripture, John chapter 19, and we're going to be looking at verses number 25 uh, through 26. We have many scriptures that we're going to share with you today, but I want you to look at these as we use this passage as the cornerstone for the word of God today. And the Bible says this in John chapter 19, in verse number 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. God certainly did something in Mary Magdalene's life, didn't he? Amen. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciples standing by, whom he loved. Now, I want to tell you that as we lead through these particular sermons, the seven sayings of the cross when he spoke, it will lead us to Palm Sunday, then Easter Sunday, and I'm working frantically now. I'm only in Sermon 2, and there will be many, but I'm going to go into a new sermon series simply entitled, Believe. And one of the things that is going to be predominant in the very first sermon and second is these words right here, the disciple. Look at this, the disciple whom he loved. We're going to be looking at the gospel of John in a way perhaps that I, I pray that you've never seen it before. I pray that it'd be a blessing to you, but notice this. The disciple whom he loved, he saith unto his mother. Now this is significant and we'll break it down for you in just a moment. Woman, behold thy son. This is the third time Jesus spoke from the cross. And the title of the message today is the words of affection. Grief is no stranger to any of us. All of us have been affected by grief. Everywhere you turn, you can find somebody grieving. You can find people grieving probably within your family. You can find people grieving in your workplace. Maybe you have a neighbor that has gone through some type of devastation and you know that they're grieving. Sometimes, and more frequently than I would like to see, we find our brothers and sisters inside the framework of our church grieving in, in difficult ways. Oftentimes, there, there, there's no immediate words that you can say that helps someone's inner pain seem to be less than what it is. Sometimes, the only thing you can do is pray. Pray. Sometimes the only thing you can do is just be there. I don't know how many times that I have stood by the bedside of someone in the hospital passing, or I've sat out in the lobby in a hospital waiting room, or I've stood in the hallway when there were no more places to sit, and somebody in the family that I didn't even know would walk up to me and say, Pastor, Pastor. Thank you for being here. I didn't teach a Sunday school lesson and I didn't preach a sermon. Sometimes I didn't quote a lot of scriptures. But the fact that I was holding somebody's hand in the hours of the most difficult times of their life meant the world to many, many people. Sometimes, again, all you can do is pray. Pray. And then sometimes you can be there. I'm thinking right now of the horrendous tragedy that took place in Kansas City, Missouri over this last Super Bowl festivity. I love sports. I love football. Go Cowboys. (laughs) But the thing is, I'm not impressed with drunken stupors that people can get themselves involved in whenever there's some sorts of celebration. You know, even when that ball drops at New Year's Eve. You ever seen that? I didn't know this until recently, but this is the God's honest truth about this. Gail and I were in a taxi going to a place, and we were traveling through New Jersey. Our destination was New York, and I asked the cab driver, I said, how far are we from Times Square? He said, not very far at all. You want to go there? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, but listen, are you from here? Oh, yeah, I know it well. I said, tell me, tell me about this because I watch this sometimes occasionally on New Year's Eve. And I watch that ball drop and I see the thousands upon thousands of people that are in there like sardines. I'm talking about thousands of people. And I asked the man, I said, how does that happen? How does that, how does anybody stand like that for so long? And he said, he said this, he said, everybody that stands there watching that ball drop has to be in Times Square at 5 o'clock, no later than 5 o'clock. You cannot get there later than 5 o'clock, number one. I said, you mean to tell me those people stand there in that mass of humanity from 5 o'clock to midnight? He said, absolutely. He said, there are no food, there are no restrooms, He said, and if you get out of line, you're done. You can't get back in once you go out. Now, this is for mature audiences only. So some of you may want to put your fingers in your ear. But they said this, that even adults, they have to wear diapers. Because when you stand in that crowd, there's no getting out. I've often wondered about that. How does somebody stand in that line and and for all that time just just to see a crazy ball drop? Are you kidding me? If you have ever done that, don't ever tell me
0: about it. <laughs>
1: I'm going to sign you up for some kind of counseling because <laughs> I can't help you. But, but I got to thinking about that. These celebrations that people gather into and all kinds of things, horrific things, unimaginable things take place in that stuff. And this, this shooting that took place in that, that massive crowd. There are people this morning right now that are grieving themselves, sick. They're on their knees. Maybe there's some that can't function. There's people at the hospital holding hands of their loved ones. And then the people that lost their lives
0: over nothing. Nothing. Because of an argument?
1: because of a disagreement, but something that's irrational and horrible has people right now grieving themselves in unimaginable ways. There may be somebody here right now that's grieving in this auditorium or you're watching by internet and and something horrific has happened in your life, around your life, maybe with you directly or maybe somebody you know Perhaps somebody here this morning or watching is grieving over some type of terminal illness or sickness that you have recently discovered that you are going through or that you know somebody in your family is going through. As I mentioned just a few moments ago, right before the service, I met Brother Brian Beasley here at the water fountain. He began to tell me about the details of his mother and I embraced him. And as I began to put my arms around him, I literally saw a teardrop fall and hit the floor. So there may be somebody here this morning that's grieving in unimaginable ways. I know there are people here today that's still grieving over the loss of a loved one, perhaps someone that's close to you. I tell you now, even though my dad has passed and it's all been two years, I, I still have not got through that. I'm still grieving because he, he not only was a deacon in our church, but he was our church custodian. He did a lot of things. Every, every pew, I, I can still see him going in and out with the vacuum. I, can, I drive his car and every time I get in, I can smell him, I can feel him. The other night from church, I reached my hand over there to the passenger seat, and I know I can't see the dead, even though Joe Biden thinks you can. (laughs) He really does. And I know I can't talk to the dead and I know that I can't see the dead and I know that there's a great goal fixed. But sometimes I just say this, hey, Dad, I miss you.
0: And I tell you, I
1: have not gotten over the grief of him passing away. Some of you sitting out here today, you've had loved ones recently passed. Or maybe even in a distance, and you still grieve. Now, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Perhaps there's a heart grieving over, maybe this morning, listen carefully, and especially you watching by internet this morning, maybe perhaps you're grieving over a wayward son or a wayward daughter. There is nothing that wrecks the heart of a mother and father that cares an ounce about their children to see them go down life's road in such a detrimental way. And and you you do everything you know as a believer to be in their life and to stand in their pathway and to pray over them and, and to beg God to come down and intervene in some kind of miraculous way. I've... I've stood outside of the, the, the yard of my children at midnight with my hands waved to the stars of heaven and begged God to intervene. And we as parents, we do everything. There's nothing. I'm telling you, there is nothing. You watching today, this auditorium is full of people. We all have Grandchildren, and we have children and we have loved ones in our family, there's nothing heavier on the heart of a parent as to see a wayward son or daughter. Maybe there's somebody here today grieving over an unsaved loved one. You've done everything you know to do. Maybe there's there's someone in here today that's trying to win the husband. And listen, and the scripture says, and you've claimed that scripture just by your gentle conversation, you can win them. And you've read that verse, you've claimed that verse, and it doesn't seem like nothing's penetrating. And you grieve yourself. Well, maybe there's somebody here grieving over a recent divorce. Maybe somebody's grieving over some kind of financial trouble. Perhaps somebody in here today is grieving over a bad decision. You thought it looked good. It looked like the pie in the sky. It looked like that the grass was greener on the other side. But I remind everybody in here, the grass is only greener over septic tanks. We all, every one of us, have experienced difficult times where we grieve. Sometimes we can grieve ourselves near death. Uh, when Gail and I were growing up, we had an uh, elderly couple in our church. Miss Blankenship, I'll never forget her. She was the first teacher in our church home Christian school, and she, was, she had an elderly husband. They, they, they were godly people. She passed away. And after the funeral, he went home and sat in his easy chair for four days and grieved himself to death. Some of us know what it's like to grieve over loved ones. and Maybe I'm telling you today, when our hearts are broken with that kind of grief, we're prone to question God. All of us are without exception. It's a sad thing because we know where he's at. We know he's on the throne. We know he loves us too much to make a mistake and he's too wise to make a mistake. He loves us too much to do us wrong. We know all of those things. And so we begin to question him and we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. And we say, Lord, why me? Why do I have to be in this position? I don't deserve to be here. Lord, after all I do for you, after all the years that I have served you, I've been faithful to you, Lord. But let me remind everybody here of this one incredible truth, and I hope that you get it, grief is part of the human experience. And we have to get that. So preacher, how does all of that tie into today's message? Mary, the mother of Jesus, was no exception to the grieving process. In fact, Mary's life was filled with grief. Think about how difficult it was to tell Joseph that she was pregnant. That an angel of the Lord appeared to her and said that she was going to conceive a child by the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, how in the world could a man possibly understand the immaculate conception? Think about the grief she had to tell her parents. How would they understand? Think about the grief she had when the word got out in the community that she was pregnant without a husband and all the rumors and gossip that was going on all around the place. Think about the grief she experienced when she and Joseph got to the hotel and the innkeeper said, there's no room, but I got a place out in the stable." Think about the grief she experienced when King Herod was killing all of the young boys that were two years old and younger. Think about the grief she had when she saw her son Jesus come of age, only to be rejected and despised by his own people and run out of town. And now, here at the cross, think for a moment, she suffers an unimaginable grief as she watches the horrible events of Calvary unfold before her eyes firsthand. She was a Bible student. She knew the scriptures. And it had been prophesied that Jesus would be, Isaiah said that he would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But I think we can correctly say that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was truly the mother of sorrows. Think about this. I believe the woman who had the greatest privilege in all of the world. I don't believe there was a woman ever who had walked the earth that had a greater privilege of all mankind than Mary. But the woman who had the greatest privilege, I'm talking about giving birth, physical birth to the only begotten son of God. The woman who had the greatest privilege on the earth had the greatest grief. In verse 25, notice again, now there stood by the cross of Jesus' his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. After the infancy and after the childhood of Jesus, we see and hear so little about Mary in the scriptures. Very, very little. Her life is in the background. She spends most of her time, most of her living in the shadows only in the shadows of her precious son and her other children. And then, by the way, listen carefully. And, and this, this may get some people out of the easy chair, require more liquor in their communion. I don't know, but listen very carefully. I'm going to say something. They're raising my eyebrows here. There are certain denominations who believe that Mary was a perpetual virgin. That's not true. In Mark chapter 6, verse number 3, the word says, Is not this the carpenter's son of Mary? Look at this. Talking about Jesus, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah or Jude and Simon. Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. I'm telling you that Jesus had step siblings on this earth, though he, Jesus, had. God the Father as his father, these other children that were born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus. She was never and she was not a perpetual virgin. We can only imagine of what happened and what went on in her life when this event took place, when Jesus was born. Listen carefully. All of a sudden, now, from the time that Jesus was 12 years old to the time where Jesus performed his first miracle. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is on the cross and Mary is thrust into the center stage of the darkest hour of her son's life. All of a sudden, she resurfaces to the top pages of the scripture again, and there's no doubt in my mind that Mary was the closest person to the cross as they were doing all of these barbaric things. I don't believe Mary was watching behind a tree. I don't believe she was watching behind a bush. I don't believe she was watching from the mountaintop. I believe Mary went all the way to the cross, and I believe while they were crucifying Jesus, I believe in great sorrow and great grief, maybe falling to the ground, weeping, teardrops in the soil. I can imagine, I see it, Mary, no doubt, was the closest person to the cross. And when you think about that, think about the things that must have been going through her mind. I think standing there looking at her son, memories started to flood her soul again. I believe she remembered his birth and how that she had wrapped him in swaddling clothes. I believe standing there, she began to reminisce of when he was 12 years old, when he got lost in the crowd, she couldn't find him in the caravan. Maybe her memories took her all the way back to his baptism, and maybe she could hear John the Baptist echoing the words, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. No doubt she remembered just three and a half years earlier at the wedding at Cana of Galilee when he performed his first miracle, turning the water into wine. But now, all of a sudden, she finds herself walking the Via Dolorosa, with her son. Perhaps now at this point, she's even somewhat abused herself. Jesus had been abused all night long in his six illegal trials. He had been abused all the way from Pilate's Hall to Golgotha. Mary now, as she finds herself walking the Via Dolorosa, maybe she's finding herself abused somewhat as well. I don't know. Maybe there were people calling her names as she's following the cross. Maybe there were people spitting on her just like they did Jesus. Maybe, I don't know, there were people kicking up dirt on her clothing and in her face. I don't know. Perhaps somebody grabbed a stone or two and began to throw them at her. I don't know. But no doubt she is paralyzed and helpless at what's taking place. And we can only imagine the grief, what she was going through. Because not only did she know that Jesus was the Messiah. Listen. Standing at the cross, not only did she know this prophecy that she was going to conceive a child and that he was going to save the people from the sins, that he was the Messiah. Not only did she know that, but she also knew this, that this man, her son, was dying on the cross for her. For her sins as well. It was she who had first placed that first kiss upon his brow that now was crowned with thorns. It was Mary who first guided his little hands. Can you imagine Jesus being just a little one-year-old, little two? Can you imagine Jesus being so... And can you imagine Mary and Joseph setting him down Joseph standing or sitting over there and Mary perhaps on her little knees. Can you imagine them putting Jesus the little tot on the floor and maybe Joseph saying, come to me. And can you imagine Jesus taking those first little steps and wobbling a little bit to Mary and Joseph. It was her that taught his little feet how to walk. And now she's reminiscing all of these things. It was Mary that in the infancy and the toddlerhood and the adolescent life of Jesus, it was Mary that put clean clothes on his body, dressed him for school. And now she cannot wipe the blood from his eyes or the sweat from his brow. And on top of all of that, she doesn't have the comfort of his friends, his disciples, because the word of God said they all forsook him. She had Mary's sister, she had her sisters, she had the wife of Cleophas, she had Mary Magdalene, but all of the other disciples. Look at verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene but all of the other disciples, they had left and they had forsaken Jesus. I believe it's interesting that Mary is so numb that, listen to this, when I was studying and preparing this message, this is a startling truth that comes to my heart. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but it's so interesting that she is so numb that none of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, records Mary saying anything at the cross. Nothing. She doesn't turn to her sister and say, help me, I'm about to fall. The Gospels doesn't record that. The Gospels doesn't recall Mary turning to somebody and saying, where are they at? None of the Gospels records Mary saying a word at the cross. Now, I want you to think about this. Try to imagine the pandemonium. The crowds are mocking. The priests, they're jeering. and They're wanting Jesus now on the cross to prove his divinity. You say you're the king of the Jews. Come down and save yourself. The soldiers were laughing and they were gambling for his garments and the Jews, they're shouting away with him. Give us Barabbas! crucify him. And the Savior is bleeding. And all Mary can do is simply watch. All she can do is look on, speechless, not saying a single word. In verse 26, when Jesus, therefore, and this is so important, saw his mother, John did, and he was the only one that came back. The word says that the rest of them were following afar off. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, look at this. This is astounding. He said
0: unto his mother, Woman, behold
1: thy son. I find it extraordinarily important to notice this because Jesus didn't say, Mama, You know, Gabriel told you all about this. He told Joseph, and mama, you know this is my mission. Don't cry, stop. Mama, you knew all along, 4,000 years of prophecy. You knew, mama. You knew, you knew. The Father would send me the Messiah to save the people from their sins. You knew, Mama, you knew. He says to her, Woman,
0: behold thy son.
1: Now I want you to look at this because this is extremely important. First time he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second time he spoke, he said to the thief, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And now he spoke for the third time to his mother. And this is interesting because never one time did Jesus ever call her mother. Why? Why did Jesus never call her mother? I think perhaps one of the greatest reasons for this was to keep people from worshiping Mary. Back in Jesus' day, referring to his mother as woman was almost like saying, Ma'am, and by the way, I, let me put that on pause for a moment. I will say this. Every person in here today has got children living under your roof. I think it's incredibly important for them to still be saying yes ma'am and no ma'am and yes sir and no sir because I promise you this I prophesy your kids get on a roll in a habit of disrespect it will send you to an early grave you say that's too old fashioned that's too old school try
0: it try it
1: Maybe perhaps when he is saying, woman, behold thy son, maybe he's declaring his deity. Maybe it was to clear the air that Mary did not create Jesus, but he created her. And maybe Jesus said, woman, behold thy son, because when he died and he was gone, He did not want anybody to think that she was the queen of heaven. That's so important. Look at John chapter 2 and verse number 1 through 4. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, look at this, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, again... Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So listen carefully. I I want us to learn a couple of lessons from the third time Jesus spoke from the cross. I want to be quick with this. Four simple truths. Number one, if you're following along in your bulletin, I think we see Jesus setting the example for children to honor their parents. I just read for you in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I want you to think about this for a moment. This is a subject that really needs addressing today. People can talk about all they want to, that this is a new generation, a new time, a new season. People are living in the brokenness and the depravity of what is called a woke culture. Let me tell you something. There has never been a woke culture in my home. The only thing about woke is you better get your butt up right now. (laughs) And you better get woke as fast as you can. That's as far as woke ever got in my house. And I'm thinking about this morning because the nation is depraved under broken leadership. And, and the mentality of this globe has become so diminished. And there's so much disrespect and there's hate all over the globe. And whatever was wrong now is right, and whatever was right now is wrong, and everything's all tangled up. Let me tell you how to set it all straight. There needs to be a lot of Christian men who stand up, who are fathers in their house, and they need to get rid of all of this craziness, and they need to step up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, You never be a father to my children. You got that right. Because we would immediately learn the definition of being jacked up. (laughs) A few thousand years before the cross, God had inscribed on the tables of stone on Mount Sinai. Some incredible words. He said, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land. That message the Apostle Paul reiterated in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. I don't have time to read all of those scriptures today. You have them referenced on your bulletin. I pray that you would read them. But Jesus taught the essence of respect, respecting his mother on the cross. He was caring for her needs when he said, John, behold thy mother. Take her now into your, your, your care and your leadership. Number two on your bulletin, the next thing we see is that John, he he bless his heart, God bless him. He did return to the Savior's side. One night before the crucifixion, Jesus was going through unimaginable sorrows. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. And I believe this, one of the darkest things that was in this cup, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, was not only being forsaken by God, but also being forsaken by his own people. Jesus knew that he was going to go through the abandonment of his closest friends. In fact, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, get it on the screen quick now, guys. And the Bible says, they all forsook him, but all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Look at this. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. The Bible says they could not even watch with him one hour. They all scattered for the moment. And But by the way, Jesus had warned of this in Matthew 26, verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, And you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. They're running and forsaking. Jesus was humiliating to him on the cross. Because I want to show you how that plays into this. In John 18, verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. In other words, when the disciples left, they were running, shirt tail in the wind, Jesus being barbarically crucified, Mary weeping her heart out, turning to a few women and all of these men who said that I will follow him and serve him, now they had run away and so the high priest in the scripture, they wanted to know how many disciples he had and then where are they now? In your darkest hour, in your darkest moment, where are these guys that said they would not deny you and follow you all the way to death? I want, I'm sure they wanted to know what kind of doctrine and faith and gospel would cause their followers to run in the most heated moments of their life. And so in verse number 31 of Matthew 26, the Bible says they forsook him because they were offended at him. Simply put this way, they no longer felt safe being around Jesus. They were ashamed to be in his company and only one, of the 12 came back. Thank God for that one who returned. Listen to this. Don't ever give up on your prodigal because someday by the grace of God, no matter how far they get out in life, hold on to faith, hold on to hope. They can return. Number three, I think we see an illustration of the Lord's prudence And prudence here, some of you may not know what that means. Prudence means the discipline of oneself or the exercise of good judgment. And this was another prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 52, verse 13. The word says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. That's the discipline of self or exercise, the exercise of good judgment. On the cross, Jesus exercised exceptional prudence when he said, John, behold thy mother. I think one of the greatest concerns of life is to see that our loved ones are properly cared for. And Jesus used great wisdom on the cross when he selected John for the task of taking care of his mother. And then lastly, number four. I think we see a universal need here because the Mary of Scripture is quite different from the Mary of superstition. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Listen carefully. And this is is where so many denominations go absolutely off the rails with doctrine because the Bible does not say that Mary is blessed above women but that she was blessed among women. We have to remember this, that she was also a member of the fallen race, just like you and I are. Let me say this, that Mary was a sinner, just like you and I are, because the word says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as she stood by Jesus at the cross, he was dying for her as well. And it's a perfect picture of what the Bible says for all of sinned. And so without question, the cross paralyzed Mary for a moment, but it didn't stop her. It didn't shut her down. Sometimes our grief will cause us to do this. Sometimes our grief will cause us, we, we can say this to ourselves, you know what, this thing is making me so sick. I ain't doing nothing. Sometimes we can say, our grief is making me so, so sick. I, I ain't going back to church. I'm not serving the Lord. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And listen, I understand the grieving process. All of us been through it. There are people here right now that I, that I know your story. I know your testimony. You've, got, you've gone through. There are some people here this morning that have gone through unbelievable things. One after another, your life, you have thought yourself to be as Job. And you say, if it's not one thing, it's another. But I hope that you can get some inspiration today from Mary because all the way, all the way, From those six illegal trials. Listen, do you think that Mary was sleeping through those trials? I believe from the moment they yanked Jesus out of Gethsemane, somebody went to her house and said, Hey, get up. It's happening. And I believe from one station to the next, she was peeping around the corner. She was trying to hear what they were saying. All the way, she followed Jesus down the Via Della Rosa all the way to the cross watching him go through all of these horrific things. And listen, if there's any person that has a justification to quit on God in the moment of grief, it was certainly Mary. But she didn't. It didn't stop her. Many people, listen, we're just as human as she was. She had... Human blood flowing through her veins, just like we do. And let me show you something precious, and our musicians come. I'm done. I want you to see something in Acts 1.14. After the horrific thing, listen, after this, Peter had denied him three times, and Jesus is standing there saying, hey, lovest thou me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you more than these. Jesus says again, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter was interpreting that love to be what the Greek describes as an affilious love. Jesus was talking about agape love. Peter was saying, Lord, you know I affilious thee. And then Jesus the third time said to Peter, okay, do you affilious me? And the Bible said when Jesus used it in that tone and in that meter and that connotation, the word says it grieved Peter to the heart. And he said, Oh my goodness, Lord, I copy you. After all of those experiences, feed my sheep. After the great sermon on the Mount. After all of the miracles. All the way. All the way to the cross. The barbaric things that were happening. When the dust settled, they, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took his body down from the cross. The women prepared it for burial. They placed him in the barred tomb. God raised him from the dead on the third day. Forty days after the resurrection, he ascended back to the Father. But he says this right before, go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this is what, listen, there are many people that could have said, oh, it's over now. We're all in this by well, I'm not doing this. I am not going to face these Romans. I'm not going to go through all this stuff. Listen, what happened to him, what happened to us? And if there's a time to get out of Dodge, it's right now. I'm not doing it. And Peter could have said that to John. John could have turned to Thomas and said, listen, you, you doubt, you doubted some things here at the resurrection. Do you doubt that we're going to make it through this? Maybe they could have got all squabbling and saying, you know what? We didn't sign up for this. Three and a half years was good enough. We're done. But that's not what happened. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. I'm going to the Father. And then I want you to notice the third word in this passage These all
0: continued.
1: In all of their grief, they continued. There might be somebody here this morning. You're on the verge of so grieving so hard. You may be saying, I'm almost done. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? I'm almost done. He's quit on me. The Bible says with one accord and prayer and supplication. And the listen, there were, there were women in the upper room praying too. Thank God for praying women. Sometimes praying women can put men to shame. And Mary, oh, look at that. The mother of Jesus. And with his brethren. I can tell you this: grief can can torment your soul. But only Jesus can satisfy it. Only Jesus. Can give you peace, joy, and hope.
0: You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at Buford Road Baptist